all know what it's as, like. As one would tend <laughs> you to know, like what normal people when you when you leave, leave the Russian Russian space, space program, program. Uh, and you're Whatever. an opera singer, you're like, yeah, and you're an astronaut, cosmonaut, actually. But nice, as we all are. <laughs> I mean, who isn't these days? In our own way. Good you point. know, if you really think about the universe. And she's like, and I bought a place on the beach. Like, everything was just so, like, huh, like, whatever. Like, we're talking and, about But not even saying it in, like, a very, like, album. like in a, like, oh, you know, like, very, like, snooty. It was just, just being like, normal. Like, yeah, like, yeah, I almost think wonder. that's worse. When they because assume that's like what the everybody unaware, does. the level of unawareness of, oh, yeah. like... I'm so high. And like, then I bought the... 14 karat diamond as one would do you know as one would do like we're npr hosts (laughs) one would not (laughs) like one lives in a studio apartment in new york alone we stuck three of us in there (laughs) we get paid paid donations also (laughs) you know the cars are asking asking donations we drive drive those I get a secondhand 1998 Honda Civic every two years. Those are really nice Hondas. Have you been recording? Yep. James Baldwin's 1974 novel, If Beale Street Could Talk, explores love, family, racism, and sacrifice in beautiful jazz-like prose. The main characters, Tish and Fanny, are young and in love. We learn about their courtship in a series of vignettes as told by Tish. We also learn about Tish and Fanny's present circumstances. Tish is pregnant, Fanny is in prison for a crime he did not commit. Their families work to prove Fanny's innocence and to hold on to hope for Tish and Fanny's child. Barry Jenkins directed the 2018 film version of Beale Street, and he told David Sims of The Atlantic, Baldwin had a few voices that he wrote in, and one of those voices was just deeply sensual, innately in touch with human emotions. But also he could be a very, very angry social critic. And I think this book is the perfect fusion of the more essayistic protest novel and somebody who deeply believed in sensuality and love. When I first read the book, or second read the book, I thought, how amazing would it be to fuse those two things into a cinematic language? Welcome to He Read, She Read, the podcast where a couple of married bookworms discuss what they're reading and learning. We're excited to discuss our February buddy read, If Beale Street Could Talk, by James Baldwin. I'm Curtis. And I'm Chelsea, and we're here with Britt and Richard. We're so glad to have you two back. Brought, yeah. brought back by popular demand, but don't let it go to Richard's head. Oh, yeah, please don't. <laughs> well, in that case, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to come back and do this again. We're going to talk about the book and the movie. We all saw the movie together before reading the book, which I think is an odd experience. Yeah. Well, we also had to take advantage of it being in our local theater for the week that it was there. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. We don't get a lot of art films here. No. <laughs> Not at all. Um, but I, I do think that that might have a big effect on how we talk about the book and the movie. So we're going to talk about both of them in this discussion, but we're going to probably start by focusing on the book. So just a little bit of brief background. I thought we would talk about how we ended up choosing to read If Beale Street Could Talk Together. Because I think we were basically like, hey, we should have you guys on the podcast. And Rich was like, we'll read a book with you. I think it was a combination of that. Bill Street was out, like, Black History Month. We're black. We're black. So (laughs) It makes sense. It makes sense. It all works out. So, boom. It wasn't, I don't, I don't know. Did you guys think about it a lot? Not really. I think I think Britt, you might have been the one who like said Beale Street. Maybe you and I had been talking about it before. Yeah, I honestly I didn't know it was a book prior to finding out about mm-hmm. the movie. 
And then I was very interested in the movie. Um, and then I was talking to you about it and you were like, oh my gosh, James Baldwin. Like, <laughs> I love him. And now I'm in love with him. So, but yeah, I think that's kind of how it happened. I think it was just the perfect storm of combining factors that all came together. Yeah. It was good timing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So let's just get right into what we thought about the book. First impressions. Yeah. Just first impressions, overall thoughts, what you liked okay. about it overall, disliked about it. Overall, loved the writing style like it's beautiful mm-hmm. like even if like you're not too into the topic um stylistically it's stunning um so i really love just the overall writing style um characters were very vivid like i knew i mean so my experience was a little bit different with the book so i listened to the book i did the audiobook which was exceptional um but so i think for me like, the characters were just that much more real. So, yeah, that was kind of my thing. Now, the other three of us, we all read it. And so I kind of wanted to ask how the audiobook seemed as, like, different from reading it. Because we're getting it from Tish's point of view for the first... They call it the first part, but it's really, like, the first 170 pages. And then part two is only the last 20, where mm-hmm. we see a little bit from Fonny's perspective. But And it's funny, but it's still Tish. Right, which mm-hmm. is kind of a weird way to look at that. But so when the narrator is like telling the story from Tish's point of view, when we read it and there isn't chapters and there's just like subtle line breaks, how does that play as uh, audio narration? Does it seem like she's kind of going off on tangents? It did at first. Okay. And then I kind of got used to it. Um, And the narrator, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting her name. Bonnie. Bonnie Turpin. Bonnie Turpin. She's like amazing anyway. So she was really purposeful about her voice and, like, mm. changing her voice, um, like, when it was a flashback versus, like, right now this is what's happening. Okay, really? So like Her there was... voice was different. And she did voices for all of the characters okay. also. So it was very distinct. That's um, helpful to be like, <clears throat> this is what we're using to set the stage for, and then this is what's actually happening right now. Right. And so, like, when I was... First, like, the first little bit when I was listening, I was like, okay, like, mm-hmm. let me take a look at the book. And then I kind of, like, fell into the rhythm of it. Um, but there were some, there were some times where I'm like, uh, oh, it's flashback. <laughs> or like, oh, we're back in present time now. Even in the movie, the movie's set up like that, where yeah. time is really fluid and it goes back and forth. And so sometimes all of a sudden you go into a scene and it takes a second especially with the dreamy quality of the yes. film to kind of realize oh, we're where where you are or what's going on. So. Right. Which I think too, like, I feel like that was a stylistic choice mm-hmm. and kind of a commentary on like when you're going through these things, you're not really paying attention to the passing of time, mm-hmm. but it is passing. And like, so yeah, I think that was, that was definitely a choice by him. I think to make it that mm-hmm. not necessarily confusing, but also, like, I was talking to Richard about it. When we say, like, confusing, she's also, like, a 19-year-old girl who's pregnant and her boyfriend is in prison. Right. <laughs> like, like yeah. it's a confusing time. It's a hectic time. So I felt like he really yeah. embodied that. To me, it sounded like, as I was getting used to it, it seemed she was getting sidetracked and going off on tangents. And I didn't know if that was an intentional thing that Baldwin was trying to do. But it, I wrote down the fact that she's 19 and pregnant as not really an unreliable narrator, but it's an understanding that 
there's a lot of emotional things happening in her life and it would be understandable if she's like going in different directions to try to understand her own circumstances yeah yeah because even throughout it's like she's dealing with like her own family his family you know the fact that he's locked up being pregnant Oh, and she's trying to work. Right. <laughs> like, like, All of those like, things together. Oh, like, oh, and that, and there's this. And we're living in a world where, like, being being black is, like, not okay. Yeah, there's even more burden on her when she steps outside her home. Yeah. What you, did you think about it, Rich? Uh, this book, like, I, I liked it. I think it was, I say it was an okay book overall. And I don't want to be, like, a James Baldwin critic. But just personally, it's not, it's not my style. A, it's very, like depressing like i don't mm-hmm. really enjoy the the sad stories but um as you were saying like it's hard to follow sometimes so you're reading and you're going back thankfully in a book you can reference back a couple pages so you can see like who's going or who's saying what but there's sometimes i'd be reading things and i'm like i don't really know what like who's saying this mm-hmm. but then you can kind of reference back and i guess it, it's all tish but it's tish speaking like it's tish speaking as sharon for joseph so it's like mm-hmm. it's like three or four layers of stuff, which I guess that's a credit to him as an author to like be able to put all that together. And like the overall story itself, like I say, it's a sad one, so it it makes it hard to read sometimes. Because especially like we talked about last time, like you kind of like we talked about earlier, you kind of knew where it was going, mm-hmm. and like, you're like I don't really want to read, like I don't want to see the the unhappy ending here. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough to read mm-hmm. that kind of book, especially like as a black man and like and the like the the climate, political climate, and things you read, it's like, it's so difficult to be like, oh man, like this is, this was like a real life experience and that wasn't even uncommon. Mm-hmm. You really think about it, like there's probably, in the neighborhood that they grew up in was probably like 60% of the people were dealing with a similar issue, especially when you talk about how like the cops were treating people and like mm-hmm. just the system as a whole. So it's like, it's a very like heavy, heavy read. And I really don't, I usually don't read things that are this heavy. It's in the seventies, right? So it's in his like mm-hmm. second half of his writing life. Yeah, I think and it came out in like seventy three or seventy four. Yeah, and like the early half, you read some of his earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, how does it compare to for how you see it? I'm not a James Baldwin scholar or anything. Um, from what I've read about his career, um, I do think if you read some of his earlier works or if you read his works in order, you could see a lot of the evolution of his own perceptions of the world and how he evolved in his view of the world. Yeah. So there are were a couple of pieces about how, especially with this book, he's this is the only book that he wrote from a female perspective, like where a woman was narrating. Oh, I and, didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So um, that makes it significantly different than all of his other work. And it also sort of speaks to him becoming more aware of black feminism and the need for him to maybe focus on um, black women instead of his personal focus as black man, as a black queer man, he was, you know, obviously he could write about his experience, but I think it shows his opening up his view Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. in this book. So I don't know. Did that answer your question? I I think so. Okay. I liked an article that I read, um, which was a review from The Guardian in 74 when it came out. And Baldwin said that every poet is an optimist, but on the way to that optimism, you have to reach a certain level of despair to deal with your life. So I think he is giving an accurate picture of how he saw Harlem in the 60s and the 70s. And just the realism that that takes in is hard to take in sometimes. And there were times when I was reading it and I just had to put it down. Like... 
I didn't want to, like, you know that that's really what people were dealing with, and the fact that that is still relevant today to how people are living makes it t- even tougher to look at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that we can, it's also easy to read stories where you see stuff going on, like, kind of catastrophic things, like, you read a book about, like, plane crashes or anything, you're like, oh, that, like, oh, that could happen, but it doesn't really happen, but when you read something, like, as, as small as just, like, somebody's really, like, messed up legal problems, it's much harder, because it, it's much closer to home, like, this is something that could actually happen, like, right. you know, mm-hmm. the, the bus I'm riding in isn't gonna be hijacked by a terrorist, but, like, I could have a adverse interaction with a cop or anybody and like be in a lot of trouble and it can have a much greater effect and it's it's much harder to see those kind of things like play out because you're like well look at the situation like this is a a poor family in the 70s like they're going to have an okay lawyer maybe Mm -hmm. and like the system is already kind of rigged against them so i think it's just much harder to to see that kind of like small scale disaster Mm -hmm. because like it didn't affect the whole neighborhood it affected Mm -hmm. those two families and like they probably knew about it, but, like, also they could have been dealing with it without anybody knowing, but, like, just very much, like, having the worst time of their life, but, like, in a very small scope. I kind of liked his commentary where it had, like, the modern implications of, you know, lineup manipulations and police systems. Like, I think, Britt, you were talking yesterday about, like, this last season of Serial where a lot yeah. of that stuff gets brought up. Ugh, yes. And I, I like that as a commentary that you can just look at this and see that he's seeing the same things we're looking at today where police manipulate lineups and they try or put more cases through the legal system than they can actually afford or have the time mm-hmm. to prosecute so they're to actually it, deal with yeah exactly so then it, it puts the emphasis on like the plea bargaining system and baldwin's not a lawyer but he has an innate ability to look at a legal problem and tell us what's going on right and there's a line in the book that says it would take a, a thousand years to like try every case that the mm-hmm. system has and it's the same way now like like you said they don't like in the book, she wasn't, it may have been her attack, but she was like given an attacker to choose. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing they do. And I'm like, hey, we have a, a crime. Like, here are people who probably did it. And like, hey, you're the victim. This person is probably most likely one to do it. So just pick them. Like, And as a victim or something, it's probably easier to be like, okay, yeah, they did it. Give myself some closure. And the system's like, well, even if we got it wrong, like, he'll plead out. He'll do a couple of years in jail, and like they'll forget about it completely. So yeah, this this sees like the throwaway nature of like how the legal system, especially back then and even now, is like certain people. If you don't have like the means to navigate it, they're just like, all right, we'll come in, like we'll process you. You know, we'll give you your like minor due process, and you'll take a plea deal because you don't want to go to jail forever. Mm-hmm. And you know, you'll, we can use you to build a a prison, mm-hmm. like your your labor in jail. Mm-hmm. So like, right. just like perpetuates that system. Yeah. And one of the main characters that that talks or that happens to is Daniel. Yeah, he's like, they're like, hey, you stole a car. He's like, I've never even seen this car. Like, well, you stole it. He's like, okay, well, it's better than trying to actually fight it. Because, like I said, the legal system, I said, just like then, as of now, like, you don't have the means to fight it. Like, lawyers aren't cheap. Like, court fees aren't cheap. If you don't have someone who understands how to navigate the system, it's almost like in your benefit to just say you did it to get the leniency of the court like oh i could go to jail for two years i go to jail for 10 years like or i could have like a felony conviction or i could get a death penalty like it's just the system is made for like you can pick one choice that's really bad or you can pick the choice that's just bad Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of in between unless you have a bunch of money to hire lawyers and all that kind of stuff yeah and i think that was displayed really well in this last season of serial too which is like for me like that was really really difficult to listen to 
Mm-hmm. Another one, too, because I'm from Cleveland. So I was like, oh, <laughs> man, do better, guys. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, like, it's very real. And, like, it's still happening. And, yeah, and I think that's why this is a hard read. Because as a society, we like to think that we're past these things. Mm-hmm. And I like to think I'm an optimist. <laughs> so I'm like, no, like, it's not as bad as it was, but it is. It's just as bad as it was in the 70s. Mm-hmm. I mean, and a lot of the things that you guys are talking about where the amount of energy and effort it takes to try to fight this is the whole scope of the story where the yeah. two families are trying to fight to get Fani out of jail. Mm-hmm. And the amount of time and money and just stonewalling that happens with the system and what that drives other people to do is like the yeah. main like character focus that I like to see. And it's like, what does it take... like? It's one of those things where, like, how do you save your family? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, going through something like this. And I feel like that's what we see, like, a lot of the characters going through. Like, it's not just one character fighting for their family. Like, everyone is literally fighting. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like, how long am I going to fight? I I think that's why I connected with Joe, who's Tish's dad. And he has a couple of scenes where he's talking with Fani's father. And they kind of just sit together and, like, hey, man, like, your son's in jail. My daughter's pregnant. We've got to do what we have to do. And they end up going down to the docks and stealing clothes and selling whatever they have to to try to make money for a lawyer. But they make the conscious decision like, hey, we're going to do what we have to do to try to make our lives better for our kids. Yeah. There was a certain point in the book where it seemed like the family was really focused on Fani and getting Fani out of prison. And then it was almost like it veered. And then the family was focused on doing whatever they could to make it better for the baby. Yeah. Well, because that's a finite time. Like when it's early in a pregnancy, you're like, yeah, there's still stuff going on. But then when it gets down to the wire, you're like, we got to worry about this baby. Or yeah. when you start to lose hope about yeah. and about you fun. start to get hit with the reality of he might not be out. Yeah, it's well, and I think, like I the think... kid will come, but like you may not get out of jail. And right. it's much easier for us to, to raise this kid than probably at some point. They're probably like, we can just, if we forgot about fun, it'd probably be easier on everybody in that situation. Well, and I think too, like, and at least this is the impression that I got, is kind of like, let's focus on this baby so that it doesn't happen for this generation. Right. Exactly. Like, like let's let's be better. Uh-huh. And how do we be better? And even, like, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I saw all the, all the characters kind of make that shift. I didn't see it from Tish as much because she's, so, like, how can you? Yeah. Um, she, was, <clears throat> she still had to focus on Fani. And I think even... And I feel like that kept her going for the baby. Right. And that was that moment where her dad told her, like, you need to stop working because you need to take care of the baby, but you also need to see Fani every single day, and we've got the rest. And I really do feel like that was them just as a community being like, we're going to take care of you. And releasing her from that. Yeah. So I think we've already started to talk about this a little bit. Curtis, you really loved Joe mm-hmm. as a character. Um did you guys have a favorite character that stood out to you as someone that you were either rooting for or just connected with the most? Or I loved Sharon, Tish's mom. I just loved her. I loved her voice. Yeah. And she's just, like, strong and, like, willing to do anything for her family. And I loved that. Mm-hmm. I um, loved the back- her backstory, too, which you get in the book. We did not yes. get any of that in the movie. Oh, my gosh. I was like, look at her. I bet she was a boss up there on stage. I want to look about her. <laughs> like, I want the prequel. Or the right? fact like, that at 19, she ran away with a drummer. 
like, exactly. like optician. Yeah, yeah. 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 she was the a singer in the nightclubs and yeah. stuff. And yeah, and then like seeing her like back in the nightclubs and her like mm-hmm. reflecting on some of that, I was like, oh, okay, go get it, girl. <laughs> but that was that was really cool for me just to kind of see more of her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really really enjoyed her. I liked I loved how she supported Tish, and especially in that moment. I think, like, you know, it's, like, a very scary, like, thing, like, telling your parents that you're pregnant, especially when you're not married, and, like, all of this stuff, and just mm-hmm. the political climate that they're in, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. really, like, this is what's happening, but she was, like, okay, you're having this baby, mm-hmm. and, like, let's move forward. Which is a sharp contrast to Fani's mom, Ugh. which... <laughs> The yeah, worst. She's, just, she's, not, the she's worst. like, let's let's curse this baby and basically like, I hope you die and your family dies. And they're like, this baby is like your family too. Yeah. And I think that kind of like goes like that's a it's like a real like I don't want to like cast dispersion on like black moms, but that's like a real that's like a really true thing. They're like once as like in this our community like once people have like shown themselves as like not worth the time and like trouble, like you almost kind of write them off. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget her name, Mrs. Hunt, has kind of written off Fonny. Like, she mm-hmm. hasn't, he hasn't turned out to be what she wanted. And I think she can see based on what's around her that she knows, like, I haven't raised him right. And she probably has some guilt about that. And, like, there's only certain choices for him. Like, mm-hmm. as a, a young kid in, like, this time period, like, she probably knew, she probably deep down inside, like, knew, like, he'll go to jail eventually or he'll, like, sell drugs or do something because she knows they can't, they can only provide for him so much. His, her daughters, she can marry them off for the most part, but like for like his young like manhood, he's probably gonna have to he'll probably, he'll probably make those choices that will put him in positions to like want more, but then there's not really a way to get more. So mm-hmm. like he didn't he didn't necessarily turn to like the life of crime like Daniel did, in a way, but like she probably already saw that coming. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know, like in a lot of and still furthermore, like our community tends to blame women for a lot of the problems. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's very easy for her to be like, Tish, like, you did this to my son. Like, mm-hmm. like you're nobody, you're nothing. And, like, had he not met you, instead of taking responsibility, it's like, no, like, this little girl that you're running around with, you got pregnant, and now, like, my son's going to rot mm-hmm. in jail because of you. And I think that's, like, a kind of probably like a historical context thing, just like, oh, yeah. like women taking the blame for a lot of stuff. And then just even in society today, it's always, like, you kind of blame the woman and even, like, women weren't supporting each other because it's, like, that's a competition. Like, they saw Tish as, like, this will be someone else that we'll have to support. Hmm. So, like, we don't really want her. Like, she can't bring us any benefit. Well, and I, I saw some of that, too, as, like, I think, and this is just total, like, speculation. But I feel like she looked at Fani almost like a young, like, what was her husband's name? Frank. Yeah. Frank. Just like I yeah. feel like she. Yeah. I feel like Fanny reminded her of Frank. Mm-hmm. And so and, she hates and, Frank. And that relationship was not good. No. Not healthy whatsoever. At all. None of that was healthy. Um. So I feel like that was kind of an underlying tone too. Like that's why she wrote him off so early is because like you're just like your father. Mm-hmm. Um. And then how she reacted to like Tish and all of that. I mean, that's something that we kind of talked about for a while. Like black women in general, are not taught to support each other. Like, it's like, ugh, that girl. Like, women are untrustworthy. Like, oh, like, you're running around you weren't married? Like, what's up with that? Mm -hmm. Like, people are, it's just, like, you're taught not to trust each other, which is so sad. Um, But that's how I look at even the relationship with, like, 
Tish and like Fani's sisters. Right. Which is just an extension of her relationship with Fani's mom. Yes. Because they are trying very hard to be just like her. Yes. Mm-hmm. But we do see an example of true sisterhood. Because Tish and her sister are close oh my and gosh. they do support each other. And, they're and her amazing. sisters just, I mean, talk about who you want in your corner. I want her to be my big sister. Right? <laughs> Seriously, though. <laughs> Seriously, though. Um, but I also thought, um, and this is a theme that Baldwin does bring up in a lot of his writing, so he's a preacher's son. And he also he, preached a while as, as yes. well. Yeah. Um, so he's got a lot of experience in the church and specifically in the black church. And so he, I think, does such a good job of highlighting hypocrisy within the church. Oh, yeah. And um, I think part of the book that really struck me was when he was talking about um, the church that Fanny's mom went to and, like, all of the people who went there but then ended up doing drugs and then the church never had anything to do with them again Mm -hmm. instead of, like, being the community to come around and support them. And then we see Tish's family, who doesn't go to church except for maybe Christmas and Easter, mm-hmm. and yet they have the values of community and family where they're willing to back people up no matter what. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, that whole scene with the sisters and the mom cursing the baby and that too, that was just an extension of highlighting how religion can become like... Be so ugly. Really, yes. Um when it shouldn't be. So. And how people do things in the name of religion. Right. Yeah. Where it's like, it's not about the religion. But that's like a whole nother thing. <laughs> that's it like is. a whole nother thing. Yeah. It just goes to show that there's so many, I think I could read this book ten times and get a different theme out of it every single time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Who was, who was your favorite character? Oh gosh. Um, I really did like Sharon as well. But... I will say, after seeing the movie, she was the one character that the movie really impacted my reading, where I couldn't picture anyone except for Regina King. King. Oh, yeah. Like, I felt like (laughs) every other character, like, I could kind of just have, like, you know, the blurry picture in your head that you develop of characters, but every scene with Sharon was, I was like, oh, Regina King is in my head. (laughs) There she is. And then even when they're talking about her in the club, I'm like, a young Regina King. Yes. Yes, she, she is looking she so fierce. she wins the Oscar tonight, it'll be because of you guys. <laughs> yes. I was also picturing when she's in, uh, where Jiggy King is in Miss Congeniality 2 and pretends to be Tina Turner. What? Yes, 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 yes. Oh my goodness, yeah. that's good. With, just with the, the wig. She and can the, do everything, FBI agent. She's got it all covered. Yeah. You know, she runs the full spectrum. detective, trying yeah. to find her daughter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, well, my favorite character was Daniel. I think I kind of already said that, but like, it's because... Daniel is, like, funny on the other side. Right. Once the system has used him up, like, and spit him back out, like, you're... Like I said, you kind of see where the story's going to go once you see how things with Daniel, and even before you get too far in the book, where, like, he gets accused of a crime that he has nothing to do with, like, kind of arrested on a technicality, and basically probably because of a vendetta of some other officer, and then, like, ruins his life. Mm -hmm. And this is, like, the story of, like, the prison system... Then and now, it's like you go in, you know, whatever trauma you have is there, and then you come out, and like there's not much you can do because you're not, you're not healed, and like nothing mm-hmm. is like you're just like a really broken person. Mm-hmm. And so like the one good thing he had in his life was like seeing Fani again, and then he probably saw Fani mm-hmm. go to jail. It's probably like the cycle that he sees with all of his friends because they mentioned that Fani was running out of people, mm-hmm. like he knew at his age. So it's like 
Yeah. Probably everyone he knew was just like a domino effect of, hey, this one went to jail, this one did drugs, this one went to jail, this one is on drugs. So and that's like a very real, like a very realistic portrayal of like some neighborhoods now and like some friend groups that like, hey, there's only, there's only so many people that make it out of certain places and like they probably see like, hey, this friend went to jail, this friend succumbed to this and that. So that's why I like Daniel because I think he's the most realistic uh, character mm-hmm. in the book. So he's got that one scene where he meets up with Tish and Fani and they sort of have that reunion. Mm-hmm. But then he meets with them again and again and it's almost like his therapy sessions. He's like he's, healing. Yeah. And I think those moments too, you kind of see like, oh, Tish and Fani would be really good parents together with the way that they come together and take care of Daniel. Mm-hmm. You don't really get a lot of I mean, you don't get an image of them as parents in the book. No. And so, aside from them taking care of each other, them taking care of Daniel is really the only sort of motherly and fatherly thing that we see from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's sweet, but so heartbreaking. Yeah. Except when Tish is cursing out Fani's sisters and for talking about her baby. And then right. And just gets full. Yeah, that is pretty mama <laughs> bear. But yeah. even then, she was kind of like, okay, like... Let's figure this out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're going to get through this. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Tish and Fani's relationship more specifically. James Baldwin considers himself an optimist. And we also get these moments in the novel where it's like they're going through hell, but they still love each other. And that love is really a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot <clears throat> of just the articles that I've read about the movie or... Um, about the book, since there's this, like, resurgence, people are really emphasizing, like, this is just the most beautiful example of black love. And so, I don't know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Tish and Fani together, their relationship. Okay, I love the relationship. I love how they love each other. Mm -hmm. I think you see, just because, like, given the situation, you see Tish loving Fani more. Like, you see that, like, act of love more. But, like, saying that it's, like, this is what black love, like, is mm-hmm. makes me really sad. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, as a black person, I hope that that's not my love. Like, you know what I mean? And just, like, why situationally. Why is that love? Why is that be a struggle? Do, oh, oh, my God. Dramatic. Tell me. Yeah. Okay. And this is, like, sidebar, but I just need to share this. Mm-hmm. So, like, okay, Hallmark has the mahogany cards. What? Do you know about They're this? Like, no. no. Like cards oh. for black people. It's, right. it's a whole line. What? Yeah, which I have feelings on anyway. But whatever. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Richard likes it. But like, what was it? Valentine's Day last year? Yeah, it was Valentine's Day last year, year before. There was like, like you know, regular like love cards, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, struggle love. And it's a mahogany card. And it's oh, like, it's like on. even though like, and the card was like, even though like we've been through some challenges and like problems, like blah, 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 like I still love you. Which is... Cool, but also it was like, like, why is this like? If you go to the why is this black love? The regular pink section of the mm-hmm. cards, like it's not. There's no struggle love in the yeah, like white general section. Yeah, have struggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just it's not talking about cheating in the in the white people section. Yeah, huh. why are we only talking about it in the mahogany section? Yeah. So, I had no idea this was a thing, I, dude. Like, what she's saying, it's it is very much like black love has to be hard. Like, has to be hard, and like in the in the movies, it's like well, like if he goes to jail, like you gotta mm-hmm. hold him down. It's like. There has like to be like a their trauma. situation was different yeah. because like you know you know it's a, a crime that he didn't commit but then it, like but in I the do think as a society yeah. in a, in our community that's what we look at as love yeah. even you look at like reality TV shows 
the black couple is like always going through something like, oh, I got my baby mama. Like, yeah. oh, I got this. I got that. And it's never like, we just really love each other. And or it's like when like, like, like mm-hmm. such and such rapper was in jail forever and like his girlfriend like held him down while he was out or while he was in, like didn't go with anybody else. Like why? But would you like, talk about that? Like, like about you, like, like any of the Kardashians? Like if, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if Brit would do this, but if I like did, if I did like some obvious crimes and like put myself in jail, like I don't want you to have like don't you just shouldn't feel obligated to be like, well, like, and I'm not saying everybody like people have different circumstances, but if you like put yourself in a situation, you shouldn't expect somebody to like forgive it when given the chance. Like no, like you really messed up. Like yeah, that is kind of like the, so the trope kind of, of like black love. Like you gotta you yeah. gotta have problems to really get there. So that kind of bothers me about like. That commentary. Now, mm-hmm. that aside, I do love Tish and Fani's relationship. And I really feel like the book really highlights love as, like, that is what perseveres. And, like, that is what gets us to where we're going is mm-hmm. because because they love, and not even just him and not even just Tish, but, like, yeah. because, like, the families love Fani. Mm-hmm. Like, they're moving forward. They're, like going to support Tish and the baby, like, because they love him. And they're celebrating their <clears throat> love together. And they're, exactly. Despite that they're young, despite that he's in prison, yes. they're willing to celebrate love. And I did love that, like, every time he saw her, like, when they would leave, like, the fist in the air, I was I like, know. oh, my heart. But because, like, they still have, like, their little cute things that they do with mm-hmm. each other, even though they can't be together, mm-hmm. which I thought was really beautiful. What do you guys think about honestly i felt more connection to like the familial love where everybody has just come around them to support them Mm -hmm. because we don't really see a lot of the relationship between tish and fani right it's because from the start he's in prison they're working to get him out and we only see them together in these small flashback scenarios um I did think it was interesting that she says that if you saw Fani with how he acts with wood and stone and how much love and attention and care he puts into that, then you would see how he loves Tish, which and she, which I thought was kind of weird. No, it's romantic. <laughs> no, it's romantic. Is that just the commentary on how he's supposed to be a strong figure and not really show the fact that he is in I, love with her? I looked at it as like how like you work wood and you work stone. Like first of all, you it takes time. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's, like, a finesse Mm -hmm. to it. Like, you can't just, like, go at it. And that's what I thought was, like, really kind of sweet when she talked about that. It's like, Mm -hmm. he takes his time with you. That's beautiful. Yeah. And he's, I mean, the attention to detail, he notices things about her. Like, even he can tell her mood right away when she sits down in front of him to talk when she visits the prison. But with his woodworking, I mean you do get this sense that he is really gentle, he is artistic, he is all of these things that society does not want to allow a black man to be. I mean, that whole part where it it talks about him being in trade school and him dropping out, like, that was supposed to be America giving him his ticket and being like, make yourself useful, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. But, But he wants to create art, he is an artist, and he doesn't have a great relationship and his parents to look at for an example of love we see that right (laughs) but so comparing his love to the way that he loves what he does as an artist and his 
his love of the materials and the way that he can sort of like see what it is, but also bring out the best in that piece of wood or that whatever he's working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's romantic and beautiful, <laughs> but it's also like, let's be clear. That's a really sensual way. This... That's a really sensual imagery and like what she's talking stone. about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's I mean, what overall, got him there in the first place. Hello. Uh, sensuality. All that, all that <clears throat> finesse with the stone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what about the part where Tish is saying that men can't grow up without women? Hmm. Are you trying to find? Yeah. I know I marked it. Trying, I mean, I, I can kind of understand that because, like, there's like a, I think there's a, like a marked change when like a guy gets married after a few years. Just if you knew him young, and then you get married kind of young, you kind of see like, well, you were an idiot. Then you kind of see like, you have to grow up because like, now you have responsibilities and like, there's things you, you wouldn't have unless you got married. Mm-hmm. And, like, also like, women generally are more mature at a younger age. And in order for like, we, like as a man, you kind of have to like, catch up sometimes. So if you're, because society gives, you know, men more leeway to be like foolish and younger for a, a longer time. But when you get in a situation where you have to like, provide for a family or... It's like, you know, be a decent person. You have to kind of change and grow up. So I don't know if, like, specifically, I kind of touched on there, but I think, like, just in general, like, it does, like, you kind of have to have, not necessarily one, but, like, you have to have someone else in your life to, like, you have to kind of match up with that makes you, like, rise to the occasion, so mm-hmm. to speak. But I, I also think, though, too, and this is, like, another, like, culture thing, I guess, but I feel like culturally... We don't expect men to take responsibility for anything until they are married. Hmm. <laughs> like, the whole like bachelor trope of yeah. like irresponsible bachelor. Well, uh, he's young. He's, he's sowing his seeds. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Culturally, that's a thing. That's mm-hmm. like until the guy is married. But then also, I guess you could talk a little bit about like how like mothers are expected to make men, mm-hmm. which is like a interesting concept to me but yeah i think well back then like, like the, <clears throat> the child rearing was much like much more put on the woman it's like hey the dad's out doing dad things and like bringing home the bacon so like hey mom you make this kid like productive member of society which is probably why Fani's mom hates him so much because like she probably like failed in that task in her mind like mm-hmm. he's an artist like he doesn't have a real job like we sent him to school he didn't go he just wants to make tables and well, no doesn't want to make tables, like wants to make sculptures that mm-hmm. so she saw she saw she saw herself creating someone who wasn't like a productive member of society and couldn't take care of a family. So mm-hmm. she's like, I failed and like because of that I hate him. But do you have the quote? I don't remember. I, okay, that quote. so this is I have a couple and it has to do with exactly what you're talking about. But men have no secrets except from women and never grow up in the way that women do. It is very much harder and it takes much longer for a man to grow up and he could never do it all without women. And then there's a lot more there, but the next part that I have underlined is the truth is that dealing with the reality of men leaves a woman very little time or need for imagination. And you can get very effed up here once you take seriously the notion that a man who is not afraid to trust his imagination, which is all that men have ever trusted, is effeminate. It says a lot about this country because, of course, all you want to do is make money. The very last thing you need is imagination, or women for that matter, or men. So, yeah. I mean, that 
Drop really wraps mic. all of that up. Yeah. Of, First off, the descriptions <clears throat> and the words. The way he writes. Uh, I know. Um, but that touches on the fact that, like, yeah, Fani's just expected to go and make money, but he wants to use his imagination. That's seen as, a, seen as effeminate. That's not valued. But then again, if Tish wanted to be the artist, that she's too it. busy dealing with Fani because the burden is placed upon women, like it says... They're dealing with the reality of men. Yeah. They're already dealing with too much. There's no space for them to have You're already that. trying to raise children, and you're responsible for your husband. Mm-hmm. Not the other way around. Yeah. At least that's how, like, I, I take a lot of this as, like, like, Tish, like, you gotta be strong for Fani. Like, mm-hmm. Tish, you gotta, da, 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 da. like. She's also 19. Yeah, I'm like, yo, yeah, she's like, a girl. <laughs> she's a girl. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think it's that, but, like, also, like, she's a girl, but she's in a world where, like, now you're a woman. Yeah, like, she doesn't and, get like, to be a girl. It wasn't, mm-hmm. like, back then, like, probably getting married at 19 wasn't out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Like, I think yeah. her parents, like, may have made it seem more out of the ordinary, but, like, and I don't know how the 70s were, but, like, my grandparents and stuff, they were all married. Like, they were children when they got married. Yeah. So, it's probably more acceptable for to be married at a younger age, which means there's less time to... Have grow like up the joys of childhood and like mm-hmm. to like kind of mess around and like do your own thing and back then especially for women like you're raised to much i would say a higher standard but like hey you you can be a kid and now you're a woman and like you need to take care of a household and like for the, the men it's like you better like you can do what you want to do but you better make money doing household, it yeah. which is i think where mm-hmm. frank and joe like their first idea wasn't hey like hey we need to make extra money like let's get extra jobs they're like we're gonna steal yeah. But it's like, use your imagination to make money. And like, hey, the situation was a tough one to say, like, we'll just steal to, like, and had his daughters or had Tish did something like that, they'd probably like scolded her. But they're like, no, like we can, because we're men, like we can still act this way. And like the consequences don't matter to them. Because they knew at the end of the day, if they got caught, like it would be back on their wives to take care of their families. But they put themselves... And, like, they had a, they did it for a, a good reason, but it's, like... Right. There was a reason used, behind it. The, you found the worst way to, like, meet a good end. And as we see, like, it didn't work out well in the end. But, like, like hey, we'll steal. Like, that's how we'll make extra money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like... They're also just, like, that conversation between the two of them where they're, like, laying out their options. Their options mm-hmm. are real limited. Like, yeah. That they, they are looking at what they have available, and that's what they had to do. And honestly, like, for, like people who come from a society that are like low income and like the odds are stacked against you anyway. Mm-hmm. So like even in like today's society, like young black men and like small, like poor neighborhoods don't have options. Like they don't have options. And like, we can say whatever we want about like, Oh, but like there are scholarships and like, you should go and like, sure. I mean, yeah. Sure. There are some s- success stories. But I can but sell honestly, drugs much easier. Because and also, like, that's here. not, mm-hmm. like, it's out there, but it's not their reality. Like, that's mm-hmm. not what they've been shown. That's not what they've been taught. That's not what's really available to them. Well, they deal with the reality, like, what Daniel and Fani were dealing with, where they have friends that the expectation is still, like, you have to make money somehow. Yeah. The, the options that we have here are we going to steal cars, sell drugs, and then end up in jail. Yeah, it's like, or you can make tables. Right. If you're making, mm-hmm. if you're, like, it's like if you're doing an honest work, like, you're not going to make the money you want to. And, I, like, if you listen to, like, rap music and stuff, it's like, there's, like, a, a theme of, like, kids looking up to, like, 
the drug dealers because like the drug dealers have money and they have cars and they have mm-hmm. the things they want which are the things that people told them like hey like you have to get to it. be successful you need a bmw and, like have a bunch of girlfriends and like gold chains like well i can't get that working at mcdonald's and i can't get that going to college so like why well, let's skip this cut the middleman out and like go straight to crime so if this would have been a book that was written in the 80s like joe and frank probably would have started selling crack like yep. it's new york in the 80s like they would have sold drugs like, it just hadn't gotten there yet. And I'm sure that would have been the next. Had they had this it could have you know, been legal, the 70s, legal yeah. troubles going on, even longer, they'd have started selling heroin eventually because, like, well, we can't make enough money at the docks. Like, we still need more money for Fani to get him out of jail. Like, this is the next, like, the next best step. To me, that was the saddest part about Fani and Tish's story is they're trying to do their best to ha- cut this little piece of life for themselves in their hole-in-the-wall apartment. Yeah, and they don't to even, this... they're not even asking for much, right? Right. They're just trying to have their little piece of happiness together, and they can't even have that. No. Which is just the... Without, without someone, like, putting their foot on their neck about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, because, I mean, essentially, I mean, like, the ending. Like, you can look at the ending of the book and be like, oh, well, like, it's better. But is it? It's mm-hmm. it's not better. It's like someone's still standing over him and standing over their life. Let's, um, I think we've pretty much addressed a lot <laughs> um, so far. What haven't we talked about? <laughs> but um, I think we should talk about the ending. Uh-huh. Um, it's different from the movie. Mm-hmm. So let's put that out there first of all. Okay, so like the very last page is basically Tish... Um, and her parents, like, they're still talking about raising the money that they need for Fani. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden... Well, I think, I think a big, I think a big part of that, so when we were talking about, like, raising money for mm-hmm. Fani, like, they're raising money because now he's, like, eligible for bail. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Which he wasn't previously. Right. But because of circumstances with the person who is accusing him, mm-hmm. now he's eligible for bail. And that wasn't in the movie either, was it? No. It that was, was way not. different. It was so different in the movie. So it made more sense for me in the book. Mm-hmm. In the movie, it was kind of like, what? Like, well, it made more sense in the movie with the ending that they had. Yes. Yes. So this ending, I think, okay, in a way it's more hopeful because we do get the hope of Fani being released on bail. Yes. But then we get this moment of Frank was found. He committed suicide. He drove himself out in his car and, like, rolled the windows up or something. Mm -hmm. And so the very last moment of the book is like, did anyone tell Fani yet? And Tish doesn't know how to feel. She screams and then has the baby. And then it just ends with, like, the baby crying. Yeah. So, whoa. It's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very emotional, like, page. Um, so what did we think of the book ending where... Frank dies, it ends with the baby being born. I I think it's much sadder. I know it's like in the book, like there's like a a little bit of hope, but in the movie, you know, you don't see certain things, but it's like there's no there's no like resolution still. Like, even though he may be eligible for bail, but now it's Mm -hmm. just like a procedural thing, which is like, okay, great, he's getting out on a technicality, but like Right. But he's not he's not really free. Yeah, he's out on bail Mm -hmm. and like it doesn't say they they say he's eligible for bail. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say they've raised the money and now well, no, they did say there is. The oh, money. they did. His mm-hmm. sister got the last bit of the money from, from the, the actress. actress, right? Well, good, but he's going to go back. 
Because, mm-hmm. like, if you look at it, like, from a legal sense, like, yeah, the witness that they want to use isn't available, but, like, it didn't need a whole lot of They'll witnesses still figure to get him. Out. Yeah, it didn't yeah. take a lot to get him into jail. And I think we kind of don't see, like, the, the lawyer, Hayward, is actually trying. Like, which was, like, kind of a surprise because, like, I feel like in most cases, like, they didn't go, like, the public defender route, which is what you usually see in these things. Like, they actually, like, say, we're trying to hire somebody. Investing, which goes yeah, to say, like, if you, have, if you have money, mm-hmm. like, you can, you may not be able to beat the system, but you can at least keep up with You it. can fight. Yeah, you can fight it. And I'm, I'm, they don't say, like, the, the monetary amount, but I'm pretty sure they spent more than they've ever spent on anything else mm-hmm. to get him, like, be eligible for bail. Like, but you talk about, like, the tie-ups that it took, it took, like, probably seven, eight months at this point. Right where he's just sitting in jail waiting to get bail. Right. And the fact that we're going through the process of getting that and then going to trial, this could be tied up for another certain number of years. Yeah. And I think that, to me, was more, like, sad in a sense where, like, we don't have the resolution of how it ends, which I think was sadder than the movie ending, even though the movie ending was, even though there was a resolution, it wasn't what you were expecting. Um, I I thought we were leading up, I I don't know why I felt this, but I thought it was the same thing with the movie. I thought we were going to get a Fani in jail suicide, which like just the fact that there was a lot of situations that he couldn't control the, it was, he kept getting dragged along and pushed, pushed with the court date and the trial. And there's only so much of that you can take at a certain point. Right. Oh, yeah. And well, I was kind of preparing myself for that, too, because we kind of like earlier and I think that second part of the book is when he, we started to like he started to talk about and we started to see a little bit more of like some of the things that he was going through in jail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like people beating him up and like trying to rape him, like those things like you can't fight that forever. Right. And especially when you don't have something at the end of the tunnel. Exactly. So I, I thought we were leading up to that. And so for there to be no resolution is almost more like it's it's less satisfying because there's no resolution. Right. Which I think is exactly it, what Baldwin It's wanted. the intention. <laughs> it's like the intentional exact, commentary. Yeah. Being, like, yeah. There is no resolution. And even even I feel like too, like some people might think like, oh, well, like out on bail, like that's something. Well, one, he is not out yet. Mm-hmm. Two, even if he was out on bail, that's still he's still not free. They still have to go through the trial process and all of that. Yeah, and even then, it's like there's still there's always going to be a cop who's trying to get him back in. Yeah, I'm sure once the guy that you know Officer Bell once he sees him out on bail, he's like, well, this will be like I'll just this like, is gonna be easy, easy. Yeah, I can find him doing anything and like we'll get him put back in jail yeah. for like a much longer time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because really the whole reason he ended up in is because. The cop was mad that he called him out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, really, that's what it came down to. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's what we saw with Daniel, too, where he's in jail the second time. Like, it's so much easier once they know who you are and you've been involved in the system for them to put other things on you. Right. And it's like, if you're in that position, it's like, why? Like, you're almost like, why am I going to fight this? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to, like, yeah, he probably, like, hey, Bonnie's my friend and all, but, like, at the end of the day, like, I'm not going to. You know, with withhold this torture on myself just to like help you get off. So I'm pretty sure any of us put in a situation, we'd all think we'd be like, yeah, like I'd like tell I'd the story, I'll fight this, and like you know, I tell them like the the truth. But then like they're like, hey, like we can put you in jail for 15 years. Like yeah, he did it, I guess. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't like the friendship kind of goes out the window when you're and that, we don't see that in the book, but like you can see where it's like 
there's no reason, there's really not a reason for Daniel to try to like preserve Fani to like well, preserve himself instead. And the thing with Daniel specifically that I I liked how we got like a little bit more information on that because like the lawyer was like, I'm trying to meet with Daniel. I can't get mm-hmm. I can't get in to see him. Blah blah blah. Well, then he finally got in to see him, and he was like, he was drugged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he's not. Yeah. So he, he's not viable. Easily, whatever confession or whatever he would agree to is not him. So, like we t- somebody was talking about earlier about the fact that the baby when it's born and the shift of getting Fani out of jail versus taking care of the child. Do we see that as like the Zion angle? Like the sec- the last twenty chapters is the part two is how it's laid out. And the fact that it ends with the baby born and crying, do we see that as like a chance for something new and better? Which is like the what's what Zion is supposed to be? The Zion oh. is the chapter title of the last section. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean I just that, that name is very much like it's very it's biblical. like a very hopeful like yeah, yeah it's very you want to get to Zion like Zion is like a place of like mm-hmm. rest like the paradise. mecca so it's like yeah so like you're right the whole they want to raise that kid to I think she says get the baby here like mm-hmm. Sharon Sharon's talking she's like she's like you get the baby here and basically it's like get him here and get him out all that matters like, is the baby yeah all that matters is the baby like don't I know they didn't forget about Fani but it's almost like you have to like don't let him end up this way like do also, what like you what can, can we to, control yeah yeah like because ultimately they can't control what's going to happen to Fani. Like, there is, at this point in the book, there is nothing else that they can do. Mm-hmm. Like, they're completely helpless. So, in a way, especially, like, if I'm thinking in a very literary way, the ending is incredibly epic in scope. Frank is dead. He's the old generation. Fani is in limbo. And then we've got this new baby who is crying like it means to wake the dead, is the last line. Mm-hmm. And so... Like, the baby's literally the hope of a generation right. of maybe this is the generation that will break all that came before because Frank represented a certain set of issues. Like, Fonny can was we hopeful. break the generational curse? Right. Mm-hmm. Fonny was hopeful that he could at least break what his father became and break what his parents had with Tish, but that didn't happen. So what can happen for this right. baby? And it's mm-hmm. like a very much a circle of life situation. Yeah, absolutely. But also, like, we see Frank, and he does not have any love in his life. He is unloved by his entire family, except for maybe Fani, but Fani is not there. Well, I think at the end, like, we see that, like, his daughter... Does love him. Does love him. But, but like, can't love him. Mother, but then the also, like, way. she can't love him the, the way same. that she wants to love him right. because of her mother. It's a mess, yes. And also the father probably sees the mother in the in daughter. daughter. So yeah. Fonny, so the mother sees Fonny. They both hate each other. Yeah. So, like, he hates his oldest daughter and she hates her only son because they remind each other of each other. So. Mm-hmm. But I think sort of what happens with Frank is the example of this is what happens when you when you do have trauma, when you do have hardship, but you don't have love. Yeah. Versus this hope of the baby, the possibility for Fani, and at least, you know, he is alive because of love. Like, this is what love can do for people. That, yeah. Like, it's it's very, it very much reveals that theme in the ending, so. Yeah, and I feel like that's one of the themes that is, like, strongly carried throughout. Like, every mm-hmm. scene, you see love. Like, every scene. Were there any other themes that really stood out to us as we were reading? I'd say time. Mm-hmm. Like, time gets brought up 
a bunch of times as standing still and not progressing in certain areas, but then also they weren't really thinking about it in other times. So they're spending so much effort trying to get Fani out of jail, and then they just have this realization that, you know, there's not much we can do, but we've also run out of time to mm-hmm. take care of it get it and get ready for this kid that's going to come. And then you bring that up and out into the broad scope of America and time, and you look at, like, the cycle and how, like, how far have we really come? Okay, so, well, here's one of the quotes from time. Um, page 94 and 95. Time, the word told like the bells of a church. Fani was doing time. In six months' time, our baby would be here. Somewhere in time, Fani and I had met. Somewhere in time, we had loved. Somewhere no longer in time, but now, totally at time's mercy, we loved. But I don't think it's just about the time of their, like, small situation. I think Baldwin's really trying to get us to think about time in the sense of black culture and community and generational time Mm -hmm. of one inch forward, 10 steps back, two inches forward, 15 steps back. Like, where have we been? Mm -hmm. Where are we now? Where are we going? Yeah. And like, I think right now I feel it's very timely, Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but it's just one of those things where it's like, I think it's really, really easy. And I think we see this in the book. It's really easy to caught up in like what happened or like what's going on right now. And I think, like, we need to start looking at, like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Like, I think when we had that shift onto, like, okay, like, this baby, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this baby is, like, what are we going to do? Like, we've talked about what happened. We've tried to figure out what we've done. You know, we've tried to, like, walk through these different steps. And now, like, what's next? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is kind of, like, how he, like, sums up everything and so many different beautiful ways Mm -hmm. but let's dig in at least a little bit book movie comparison we saw the movie first yeah and then we read the book and um i liked both of them Mm -hmm. i mean i do think the movie was beautiful i listen to the soundtrack when i'm studying or like doing anything because it's like the best soundtrack ever we did talk about how the ending is different so in the film version at the end, Bonnie takes a plea deal, and I don't remember how many years they said they didn't he say. had. I think they, they said nine. I don't think they gave reference to a number. How long it was going to be. Which I think was, like, purposeful. Sure. Like it doesn't matter how long it is. Right. It's still too It long. still feels like an eternity. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> and Tish and their son visited him. Yeah, and he's probably four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did read Barry Jenkins, the director, commenting on... Or maybe it was someone saying, I don't remember, but that that choice in the movie was wise because it is much, it's much more clear about what happens today. Yeah. And can, and it's easier to relate to. Yeah, I think, I think if, if it, I think in the movie, if he'd gotten out on bail and like went home, it would have been very much like, oh, like, that's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it would have looked like an ha- a happy ending versus like, oh, you took a plea deal and now you're in jail for something you didn't do and like this will stay with you for the rest of your life. Which is, like I said, it's very much more like what happens today. Like, nobody's trial. Like, a lot of cases don't go to trial. They say, hey, like, we'll give you 10 years if you go to trial. Or we'll give you two. You plea out. And like, all right, I'll take plea deal. So, I think that does make, it give, yeah, I think it gives a much more, like, realistic look at what could happen. And also, you get a chance to see, like, the direct, hey, this is his kid. And, like, he, the kid's growing up, like, without his father in jail. And, like, the impact. Also, the kid's still, like, an artist, though. And, like, yeah. he's still kind of, like, obviously they're raising the kid right. But, like, he's still in jail. I'm like, this is 
and, and it's I still think, all on Tish. And I think too that for me is like so much. It's so accurate of today. And I even think like in the book, it kind of alluded to like, what is your typical black family going to look like? And like now, what do we see in a black family? We don't see a lot of present fathers overall. Like that's not like the norm. Definitely not in media portrayal. Not in media portrayal. So like in like the media, we see a lot of absent fathers, lots and lots of single moms raising their kids on their own trying to make men and so I feel like looking at the movie it's like okay like this kid is growing up without a dad and like even though he can go and visit him Mm -hmm. he's seeing him locked up like that's not how we want to see our parents you know what and what are you what are you showing your child when you're doing that too yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and in a society where politicians especially want to place the blame on absent fathers on black men Mm -hmm. I think the movie does a good job of showing the circumstances. Like, it's the system's fault. Well, right. His yeah. Fault, right? It shows he didn't the choose system. this. Yeah. yeah. It shows the system and the level of personal responsibility that a lot of men have. And so the movie does a good job of putting those pieces together, I did think. Mm-hmm. Britt, we've, like, <laughs> touched on this a little bit, like, hinted that we have opinions on Tish in the book versus Tish in the movie. Yeah. So, and then we were like, save it for the podcast. Save it Six. for the pod. So, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on that. I loved Tish in the book. I liked her in the movie. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you have, like, not, I don't know how you would, like, not like her in the movie. Yeah, she's you know, like, she's the like, protagonist. A, yeah, like, she's good character. She loves her boyfriend. She's trying to raise this baby. But in the book, I saw her as so strong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, she was so strong. And obvious moments of weakness. But even, like, when she would, like, when talking about how, like, she would, like, go to visit Fani in prison. Like, she, like, put a good face on for him. And was always optimistic. And always, like, when he would say things, like, like, when he sounded down or, like, upset about what was going on. When she was like, you know, we're talking to the lawyer and like, he says you're going to be out soon. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, how, like, when is soon? And he gets really, really upset. And she's like, I, I said, said soon. soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and almost got like a little, she was like a little sassy about it. Yeah. And I liked how like she had, I don't know, I just saw her so strong in the book. And I didn't get that in the movie. And I don't think I felt as strongly for her in the movie. Yeah, the book, I think, I I felt like I got to see more of a whole person. Mm-hmm. Where she, it, she was strong, but it wasn't the trope of the, quote, strong oh. black woman, where she yeah. had to just be that. Like, she was still allowed to be 19, and she was still... But I think there were more interactions with her family members in the book, and of course, you just get more of her stream of consciousness thinking. I was able to see her as more of a whole person mm-hmm. when reading the book, and in the movie, I mean, it... The actress was great, but, like, it could, partly could have been just, like, you see she's so stunningly beautiful, and her innocence is really highlighted, and her youth is really highlighted, and her love for Fani, but outside of that, I didn't feel like we got as much. Because I think, too, like, you really saw, and I think, like you said, like, her stream of consciousness, because it is Mm -hmm. her voice throughout the whole book, I really got to know her. Yeah. And I do think there was so much more of an emphasis on the relationship between her and Fani in the movie. Yeah. Whereas the book, that was really only at the center. And then everything that spiraled outwards was 
much more in depth in the book. Like, and then, I loved her relationship with her father in the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that was sweet. So sweet. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was some of the best. That was some of the best parts. And we for did me. get like a moment of that in the movie. Yeah, but not as much as the book. Which I mean, that's the nature of film, right? right? Like it was a finite amount of time. And I do think that overall, they did a good job taking the book and even like so much of it like like we talked about before it was directed yeah. <laughs> like this is it right here yeah um well, a lot of the narration from inside her head was just taken straight from uh-huh. Baldwin. which i kind of loved because i mean that was some of the most beautiful right a lot of the dialogue was like even like the stuff sharon says like the scene is like word from words it's like mm-hmm. oh they didn't mess around with this so no uh, mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that um i'm really glad that we read this together i feel like having the discussion about it like this is this is the best way to read this book. Oh, yeah. To be able to talk about it. Yeah, because I think it's stuff that, one, needs to be talked about more. And I think, too, it's like a way to ease into the conversation. Let's talk about some of the other stuff that we like. Ooh. Recommendations of the week. Well, I'll go first because my wife is looking at me. <laughs> um, Again, gonna, if it was video. I'm not going to uh, recommend like an actual thing, but like I recommend like if you have good weather where you listen to, like enjoy it because... I live in a place where the weather is okay one day and awful the next, and like like today was really nice. Like and that's like the joy of like having a good day. Like we were able to go spend some time. Like had it not been windy, it'd have been mm-hmm. a great day. So like, <laughs> when we get to the time of year where like the, the days are getting nicer, so if you can enjoy that, like enjoy a good day because after reading a book like this, you can use some sunshine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my goodness, have you recommended Eloquent Rage? I think I've talked about it. I don't know if it's been a recommendation of the week. Go for, okay. go for it. That's going to be my recommendation for the week. So Eloquent Rage was recommended to me by our very own Chelsea. <laughs> and um, I've gotten, a, I'm like a good bit through it right now. But it is very timely and really deals a lot with black feminism, um, which kind of ties in a lot to Beale Street. So that's going to be my recommendation it's Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. And very, very good book. Highly recommended. I'm loving it so far. It is so good. So Rich gave me this to read as kind of a palate cleanser from Beale Street. So it's <laughs> Hope Never Dies by Andrew Schaefer. And I just finished it today. So now I'm excited to talk about it. Um, it's a, I'd say it's a satirical look at Joe Biden and Barack Obama if they were a buddy cop noir investigation duo, which, <laughs> which is quite is, the introduction which to is that book. <laughs> as awesome as it sounds. So it's the setup is that um, Vice President Biden's favorite Amtrak conductor dies under suspicious circumstances, and he's feeling like a little resentful towards President Obama because Obama's like on trips with he's got new friends he's got (laughs) trips with Bradley Cooper and so Biden has like a picture of Bradley Cooper on a dartboard that he's throwing darts at and it reads like noir where there's a lot of um, one-liners and that type of description and a lot of conversations about Joe Biden and his Ray-Bans so And everybody misses Joe Biden. Everybody so. misses Joe Biden. So it's it's a good, like, it's dedicated for Uncle Joe, and then the acknowledgments are thanks, Obama. So <laughs> that's, from start to finish, it was just a fun read. So I, I recommend it to everybody. Every now and then, like, when he was reading it, all of a sudden I would hear, <laughs> I don't laugh like that. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty close. How I laugh? Just a little <laughs> chuckle. Very <laughs> strange. Or, like, I would be doing something else and I hear, ha, ha, ha. 
And I look over and he's, I'm like, oh, he's reading the book. But it's like every it, few pages, just very, a little chuckle. It is a very funny book. <laughs> Most of those been, were Obama. Like yeah. Obama was, is portrayed as being very snarky and funny. Yeah. And I'll say like that book, like when Richard was reading it, like we do a lot of reading in bed. And he was like, he would be like reading it in bed and be like, <laughs> That's not yeah. how I laugh either. <laughs> it's how you it's how you laugh when you're reading. Listeners, our wives do not know how we laugh. <laughs> okay. That that was, was that not how I No, that's, that's not, not that's that's close. close. Okay, they got you. Dang it. They got you. I will refrain from laughing. Just so just that I am not got. Just, just so I am not got. That's <laughs> not how I did it at all. Well, now the world will never know. <laughs> what what do you got, honey? Um, I Highly, highly recommend The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, which is an examination of the prison system, the school-to-prison pipeline. She does such a good job of explaining from, like, beginning to end, like, all across the board, how the modern prison system is akin to slavery and is the new Jim Crow is the new system that keeps black people suppressed, like, suppressed under the thumb. Um, and so I highly recommend it. Um, I, it's something that I would like to sort of flip through and reread after reading Beale Street. Um, it's definitely a good like connection, especially if you're like, okay, well, I feel moved by this book. I know that this is happening today and you want to see sort of the modern day context for it. The new Jim Crow is... A really good place to start and I will link to all of these recommendations in the show notes and um, I'll include a list of other books like The New Jim Crow and like Eloquent Rage that are like recommended reading after Beale Street. That's good. Well done. I like that. Before we wrap it up I want to say thank you to Britt and Rich for being our inaugural couple buddy read together and being on the podcast. It was a fun time, good perspectives. And before the army sends us to the four winds, it's nice to get together and get this for posterity's sake. No, this is a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to do this. Absolutely. It's really just like taking the conversations that we normally have and just putting, putting a microphone, microphone in, in front of us. That's <laughs> true. We'll just put a microphone in the car next time we go to Trader Joe's. <laughs> you had to do a Trader Joe's plug. Yeah. yeah. He throws it in there. That, he did last time. That's true. Like, this, is a, this isn't the first time that we've brought up the oh. prison system and modern policing. Uh, <laughs> as, much as, we, as much as we love to read, we also love podcasts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for subscribing and sharing He Read, She Read. We love reading your comments, posts, and reviews. Our buddy read for next month is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, and that episode will air March 26th. If you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, please do. Those reviews are especially important as our, our podcast grows. Connect with us via social media on Twitter and Instagram at HeReadSheRead, or you can email HeReadSheReadPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and remember the couple that reads together. Does erroneous impressions of their husband's laughter. <laughs> I had one, too. Oh, you well, still what's yours? Name? What's yours? I was just going to say Trader Joe's together. <laughs> oh, that's I cute. made it a verb. You made it a verb. Trader, Trader Joe's, Joe's together. together. <laughs> That's good. That's a good one. We Trader Joe's together. Super cut them We all do. We do. We all Trader Joe's together. We're about to go Trader Joe's right now. Hey. And by that, I mean eat the Trader Joe's snacks. And open up that can line. We can't do it. We can't do it right now.